welcome to the second season of our Triune Pod. We are still preparing you to praise. Join me, the Reverend Nick Comiskey, and the Reverend Bendy Hart for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the Psalms. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Welcome back to our train pod. Nick and Ben here. We thought we'd be especially created this week. Talk about something we've never talked about before. What have you watched this week? Well, Ben, last night I started a movie that I absolutely loved for the first 20 minutes and then found nearly unwatchable 90 minutes in. And that movie, Brothers and Sisters, is Moonfall. Have you watched that movie, Moonfall? No, but it's definitely on my queue for like, after I've watched something super serious and heavy to kind of like cleanse the palate. Yes, it's Roland Emmerich who did uh, Independence Day. So it has like, it has like that kind of a feel, I suppose, but you can totally tell it was a movie that was designed to be way longer and then producers and boardrooms rightly were like you cannot release a three and a half hour cut of uh, moonfall because there's all these plot points and all these relationships and it's like three hours is compressed into 30 seconds and so there's like am i supposed to care about his son who's in jail like i didn't even really know he had a son until two minutes ago but it's pretty unwatchable so i don't really want to talk about that even though i've wasted some time i watched uh for the first time on friday night a Clockwork Orange. Oh, I've actually never seen that and really want to, but I'm a little bit scared to. I would feel weird saying I just watched that movie if it wasn't such a classic that it kind of puts it outside the bounds of that's inappropriate. You shouldn't watch that. It is by far one of the most inappropriate movies I've ever seen. It is unbelievable. It's like inappropriate for all the things that are inappropriate now or like for all time. For all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like it's not like he says words about certain ethnicities that are inappropriate. No, it's like there are like scenes that are like, am I watching this in a movie? Um, it's it's such a weird combination of high art and just the most beautiful set pieces and camera shots with just the most absolute savagery being depicted on. It's very affecting. Like it it stayed with me. There's a few scenes that I'm like, and I'm not even talking about the most inappropriate scenes. There are some scenes that are so destructive and beautiful and vile and elegant at the same time that it is just like, it's like nothing else I've ever seen before. It's wild. And it's interesting because I mean, so Stanley Kubrick, for those who don't know, and he's obviously a demigod. And everyone knows him for 2001 A Space Odyssey. People even know him for his lesser works like Eyes Wide Shut. Our Full Metal Jacket. And, and I mean, a lot, I mean, again, like a lot of movies. Yeah. Not, not to be exhaustive. And people talk about A Clockwork Orange, but I could, I could already sense what you're saying because everyone's like, yes, this is from the master. Yes, it's a masterpiece. Beware. Yeah. Watch out. Beware indeed. So would would you rate it like a, you know, five out of five stars or like, I mean, I guess, how do you do that with classic movies? I'm not, I'm not good at that. I mean, I know some, some people who are really into that and they can like honestly and 
compellingly talk about rating systems like that. It's very hard for me to do that, but he made the move, the exact movie he wanted to make, you know, mm -hmm. like it was using exact control of his craft and it was not something that kind of got away from him in the editing room. The score, he built some of the most famous movie sets and then shot on location in London and around London. Yeah. And it's like, it's a very, very biblical morality tale. It basically, mm -hmm. the question is if you have to choose how necessary is choice in morality? And if you can't choose the good or the bad, is something still good or bad, you know, basically. So it's mm -hmm. like the age old debate, you know, about free will. And I mean, in, in highly theological terms, you know, super lessarianism, you know, like that idea of like, if Adam could only choose the good, is it good? Um, it's, it's crazy. And I, I don't really know exactly what the movie is trying to say about that, but it, that's what it's about in a lot of ways. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those movies that's going to stay with you for years and years. Yeah. On my end, I, I recently, or I guess the other night, just saw Leaving Las Vegas for the first time. It's a Nick Cage classic, but it's, I mean, it's, it's you used to kick it off. Another kind of dark movie. It's about this drunk who meets a hooker in Las Vegas. It's, I guess, a love story, but not really. It's pretty codependent. They need each other. But ultimately, what the movie, I think, is trying to do is say that at the end of the day, what we all want is acceptance, mm. regardless of whether we change or not. Now, ultimately, I don't know if the movie is really trying to say that, that it's good news for us not to change. But I think at the root, it's what we want mm. is an acceptance that doesn't involve expectation. Uh, again, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things I think you can take and run with like, well, what do I do with that? But totally, totally. It's filmed, the cinematography, it's filmed like a noir movie. So very interestingly filmed. I guess I read up a little bit about it too. And at the Figus is the director's name and he didn't get any permits. He just, it was super oh, low really? budget. I didn't know um, that. So I think he got in trouble for it later, but now it's become this kind of must watch. Now, one of those few must, must watches that doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. I'm not going to yeah. say either way. Definitely worth watching. Imagine that Nick Cage went from winning the best best picture, best uh, actor Oscar, and then just went straight from that to The Rock, Face Off, Snake Eyes, Con Air. It's like you know I've done the best actor thing. Now I'm gonna become the biggest action movie star in the world. And Nick Cage is undefeated. And also, don't forget Left Behind. Well, that was, that was a later portion of his career. <laughs> I think he was trying to pay off a few like alimony things. Anyway, man. Yeah. All right, well, let's get to the song. This is kind of a longer, hopefully you love movies, guys. If not, we lost you long ago. But we're going to take a look at Psalm 79. And in the lectionary, it's the first nine verses. So not the whole psalm, but it goes like this. Oh, God, the heathen have come in, into your inheritance. They have profaned your holy temple. They have made Jerusalem a heap of rubble. They have given the bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the air and the flesh of your faithful ones, the beasts of the field. They have shed their blood like water on every side of Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, an object of scorn and derision to those around us. How long will you be angry, O Lord? Will your fury blaze like fire forever? Pour out your wrath upon the heathen who have not known you, and put the kingdoms that have not called upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and made his dwelling a ruin. Remember not our past sins. Let your compassion be swift to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, our Savior, 
for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. Nick, based on the film you were just talking about, this uh, psalm seems very apt. What have you got to say about it? Well, it is a intense psalm. It's uh, not a psalm that you would put in a uh, like devotional book, right? Um, but I think the the context here is obvious. It's staring right at us. This is a psalm that is a a verticalization of a horizontal tragedy. I mean, I I'm 99.9% sure what's in view here is the destruction of the temple. Um, either uh, I guess I think it was 586 Babylon, but you know, Babylon. who cares? The idea being that Israel and the temple in the heart of Jerusalem, this very physical sign of God's presence and God's blessing. God's favor upon the, the nation, his children, was destroyed by this pagan empire very swiftly. And that was the theological crisis of the century, or no more than that. I mean, it was like it kind of defined the nation up until the coming of Christ. Uh, so this Psalm 79 is a lament psalm, and it's narrating what has gone on and, and then verticalizing, saying, God, in verse five, how long will you be angry, O Lord? Will your fury blaze like fire forever? So behind this pagan kingdom destroying the temple, the psalmist recognizes that it was the Lord whose anger or whose fury blazed like fire. And the psalmist is trying to deal with that, trying to make sense of it. And maybe not in ways that we're super comfortable with. You know, he asked for God's wrath to be poured upon those who committed this atrocity, but it's trying to deal with this tragedy uh in prayer and so there's probably something there for us in it um what do you what do you make of it yeah no i mean commentators i read have said this is a prayer in the time of grievous trouble so we've seen laments before but this is a grievous trouble and then if you notice i mean you can kind of read through the lines and see that this is probably referring to the babylonian invasion and essentially destruction of israel but it's not explicit and so some commentators say, and I think this is helpful to know for lots of scripture, that this is essentially a liturgy for a time of the wrath of God. So this psalm wasn't just for when Israel was destroyed by Babylon, but it's it's for all times when the church is experiencing persecution. And I think by extension, we can even bring it into our own lives of like when we are experiencing persecution that's that's not I mean, I guess on one level, it could be the result of our actions, right? Because the psalmist does view this as essentially punishment. We have gone it our own way. And interestingly enough, it's it's not just, this is also unpopular, not just our sins, but the sins of our ancestors that have been heaped on us. If you remember, you know, the second commandment, the punishment will be doled out to the third and fourth generation. Again, things that are very uncomfortable, but it, the psalm also doesn't leave us there. The, the prayer for help is also an expectation that God is going to deliver his people. God is going to glorify his name and that those whom God might use to punish his people. In fact, in that oppression, God is, we're praying that God would punish them for that because they're doing this unknowingly. They're doing it kind of sinning, I guess, so to speak, even though everything is involved in the providence of God. <laughs> that gets us into some real pickles with the property issues. But, uh, yeah. 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 Anything you uh, want to? Yeah. No. That's, that's edifying. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the some psalms are seemingly designed 
to allow us to express our deepest feelings of hope, mm-hmm. of good. despair, of longing. And it's like, God, you know, to speak, you know, kind of like pietistically, it's like, God, did you write this for me? These, this language, these words have allowed me to access feelings that have surely been there, but have been beneath the surface. And, and the Psalms become in that way, a way to, to articulate in prayer, what you most deeply feel. Other Psalms, I would say this is one of those Psalms for me, at least that it's like, okay, this feels more like a school function. <laughs> it's like, this is teaching me something. And by praying it, you know, it's inspired scripture. It's in, it's in our Bibles. It's in the canonical, it's in the canon. And so it's like, there, there's something here for me. And it is a way of being reminded, you know, as a, as a, a affluent, <laughs> relatively sheltered from tragedy type person, it's a way to say, to stand with the saints who have gone before me and saints in currently around the world who are experiencing something like the destruction of temples, something like actual persecution. And so it's a way to kind of be reminded that this is a part of the life of faith. It may not be part of my life of faith in this moment, but this is part of what it means to be part of the people of God. You have these horrendous things happen to you that are maybe in some ways a result of your sin or other sins, you know, we're all implicated in everything, but it is just a reminder that, yeah, in the providence of God, these really terrible things have happened, can happen to you and to things you love. And it generates feelings of anger and vengeance, which we see here in the scriptures, but also, um, and to your point, you know, looking at verse eight here, remember not our past sins, let your compassion be swift to meet us. And so mm-hmm. it's an invitation to both express how bewildered and disappointed and angry you are, but also ask for um, swift compassion and for help and deliverance and forgiveness. If this Psalm ended, I know listeners aren't going to be looking at the Psalm while we read it, but if this Psalm ended with verse seven, they have devoured Jacob and made his dwelling a ruin, you know, that would be perhaps not as edifying or are even uh, psychologically helpful as where we get it, which is, you know, remember not our past sins, let your compassion be swift to meet us. So it is a complicated matrix of emotions and sensations, but that's, what's so great about the Bible, man. It, it is um, so realistic about human experience. Yeah. And it's not necessarily sanctifying everything the psalmist is praying for, but at the same time, what is God's wrath for? Not because God is just so pissed off and has to take it out on someone. The wrath of God, and then we've talked about this in the past, there's actually a good news element to it. And this kind of connects to the movie I talked about at the beginning. While we all want to be accepted without expectation, to stay the drunk, like Nicolas Cage's character, who drinks himself to death, that is, that's not good news. The wrath of God is, in fact, a purifying agent. And what's fun to read into with these Psalms is it's not just a purifying agent for the people of God, but also for those whom God is using to inflict his punishment on Israel. So I do think that there is a good news to the wrath of God in this Psalm. It's just something we're not used to talking about it. And it's yet hard to get there in a pretty sentimentalized age. I love that, man. That is very, very true. and feels very part of our experiences as human beings. So Ben, will you imagine yourself praying this Psalm at some point over the next week? Probably. I, I mean, I've got a few people in my life who are just giving me some real grief, but um, no, I, as much as I'm, I'm trying to justify this Psalm, I, I have a hard time praying it myself, but that just goes to show that I'm a sentimental person. So probably not real. Yeah. All right. This is Psalm 
79 verses one through nine. Oh God, the heathen have come into your inheritance. They have profaned your holy name. They have made Jerusalem a heap of rubble. They have given the bodies of your servants as food for the birds of the air and the flesh of your faithful ones to the beasts of the field. They have shed their blood like water on every side of Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, an object of scorn and derision to those around us. How long will you be angry, O Lord? Will your fury blaze like fire forever? Pour out your wrath upon the heathen who have not known you and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and made his dwelling a ruin. Remember not our past sins. Let your compassion be swift to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive us our sins for your name's sake. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.